0: In the previous episode, studies show that routinely sleeping less than six hours a night puts you at risk of certain types of cancers and affects the immune system in negative ways. Lack of sleep is also linked to Alzheimer's. Even moderate reduction in sleep for a week can put you into pre-diabetic blood sugar ranges, increases the risk of blood vessels that are brittle, and increases the risk of cardiovascular disease. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken, disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Calzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. Welcome back to reInvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference. In today's episode, we're going to be exploring sleep on a deep level, especially in how it relates to chronic illness and brain function. If you're a health practitioner who really wants to help people to get well, not to just cover up symptoms, not to just apply protocols, whether nutritional or pharmaceutical, we are doing a live event that's just right for you. It's called Functional Nutrigenomics in Clinical Practice. And it's all about how you can learn the genetic testing you can do with people to help you to personalize their diet and lifestyle plans. And when you put that together with your typical really great functional history, and lab testing, you're going to have all you need. So join us for an online virtual event that you can attend from anywhere. It's June 2nd to 4th, 2023. And you can get there by going to nesliveconference.com. That's nesliveconference.com. And we'll also put the link on the show notes page. Our guest today is Dr. Tom Moorcroft, a dear friend and colleague to whom I turn when I encounter very complex and confusing patients. That's because Dr. Tom treats some of the most sick, sensitive patients suffering from things like chronic Lyme and tick-borne co-infections, mold illness, as well as children with toxin-induced autoimmune encephalitis, PANS and PANDAS. He specializes in optimizing glymphatic function, which is the brain's detoxification system. He's a creator of the Lyme Disease Practitioner Certification and Mentorship Program. He's the co-founder of Meditation RX, an online community using specifically designed meditations to awaken healing and overcome chronic conditions. Tom's a sought after lecturer on these topics, and he's a guest faculty member at our nutritional endocrinology practitioner training. I brought him here today because I love his approach, which is to focus on optimizing the body's own self healing mechanisms with simple, natural interventions that focus on each patient's uniqueness. He and I have had many a lengthy discussion on our anti-protocol approaches and the need for practitioners to focus on mindset and awakening the true source within. So welcome, Tom. I'm so excited to have the opportunity and to share you and your wisdom and your heart with our audience.
1: Well, Rita Marie, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to have these conversations and I'm really looking forward to chatting today.
0: I am too. And you, as you know, probably is our audience is health practitioners. So there are colleagues and comrades in crime, so to speak, and helping people to really get to the true source of their illness and get well. And obviously you work with a lot of really chronically ill people, probably people who have been to many practitioners before. And I want just to start the discussion on how important sleep is to their healing.
1: Yeah, I think it's really an overlooked thing. It's so critical, and I just think back, like many of us, I have my own healing journey, and I spent 13 years suffering with chronic Lyme disease and babesiosis, and my symptoms are really like a lot of brain fog, joint pain and fatigue, kind of the grab basket, fibromyalgia type of thing. One of the big things that was really critical was, I had this thing where it's like, if I slept four hours or I slept 12 hours... Or anywhere in between it didn't make a difference it just felt crappy and it was one of these things where i kind of adopted this moniker of sleep when you were dead and what i didn't realize was (laughs) that actually would get me dead quicker you know
0: (laughs) yes indeed
1: right and so as i started to go through my healing journey one of the things that made the biggest difference was calming down my nervous system and actually getting good sleep. And I'm very thankful to my beautiful and lovely wife, Jill, because right as I was starting to go on this healing journey, we got married, and so there was a good excuse to stay in bed longer um, (laughs) and learn about sleep. But it's really interesting as an osteopathic physician and a science geek, and just someone who just loves how nature, whether it's nature outside of me or nature within me, I just am blown away at how life expresses itself. And I love anatomy and physiology. And so when I start to look into healing, I came across all these people who wanted to use the the next medication or device or even a supplement to detoxify Mm -hmm. their brain. And I said, well, wait a second, isn't the brain supposed to do that on its own? Mm -hmm. And what I realized was there's actually this system of brain detoxification called the glymphatic system which is kind of a nod to the lymphatic system and the rest of the body, as well as the glial cells that are so critical as part of the brain cells in this process. And somewhere between 70 to 90% of all of our brain detoxification is occurring in sleep and deeper than that. It's actually probably deep sleep where most of it occurs. So the brain has this time, you know, like when I was in medical school, we didn't really understand why we slept. And so we started, as we started in the 2010s onward to discover this system with newer technologies that allowed us to do that, how we discovered the system of brain cleaning, we realized that not two main things happen when we're sleeping. One is detoxification, and the other one is really something we've known a little longer, which is kind of consolidation of memory. And so it just became a cornerstone of the work I do is to look at ways to optimize sleep and optimize the system of drainage of the brain.
0: All right. So I we all want to hear what are some of those ways that you've determined to optimize sleep? Because I see it all the time. I'm sure our listeners see it all the time. You have people and they're like, oh, and I'm going gluten-free and I'm off of sugar and I just wish I could sleep, right? Or... I'm doing all these great things, but my blood sugar is still completely out of control. And then when you ask them about sleep, they go, oh yeah, you know, four to six hours a night, I can't stay asleep. So it's a problem that we all need to address and people clearly want to address. So I'd love to chat about some of the ways that you have discovered and that you've used successfully in your chronically ill patients.
1: Well, the first thing I think is the awareness, right? I kind of had a little flashback when you were saying four to six hours of sleep. I'm like, I used to think that I slept a lot, you know? And <laughs> then I started to monitor it. And I'm like, well, I start to go to bed at 10. I say my bedtime's at 10, but really it's 10.30. But by the time I really go to bed, it's 11.15. And my alarm <laughs> clock is still going off at six, whether no matter what time <laughs> I go to bed, right? So yeah. I think the awareness of the importance it is, I would say there's a couple of key pieces. and. I plan the end of my day at the beginning of my day. And that's one of the tricks I found. And by that I mean is I get up in the morning and whenever possible, I get outside, I get a little fresh air, get a little sunlight. And one of the key things to getting natural sunlight in particular is it does stimulate melatonin production. So our melatonin production really starts early in the day. The release is what happens when it's dark at night so i'm just like well why don't i start at the beginning and get some sunlight get some fresh air maybe a little vitamin d would be nice and move my body early in the day and the other part is i really focus a lot on making kind of going to sleep more of a ritual and and a really a healing experience And so part of that includes sort of the stuff you'll hear everywhere like get off the screens a couple hours before you go to bed or at least a half an hour if you have to be on the screen in the evening use your blue blockers all that good stuff but really it's deeper than that for me i really set the intention of i have that 30 minutes before bed is really about the time to ground what happened in my day start to calm down and really just kind of focus on preparing to sleep. It's just kind of like if we prepare to have, do a lecture or we prepare before we go in with our patient or prepare before a test, I prepare to go to sleep. I figure it should be a third of my life. It's probably important. So I really do focus on just creating a ritual. And part of that that ritual Rita Marie is I wanna find ways to help my, page. I, I like, to, you know me, I like, I love to overcome, you know, I love to get all nerdy and geek out on things, but I also, that tends to lead to be being more complex than it needs to be. And so one of the simplest practices that I've found to help me calm my nervous system down and really not make it a chore, but make it an act of love, of sharing that with myself, is actually to just find a paper or maybe a remarkable tablet or something like that preferably something where I'm actually using a a pencil-like device. And I just write down three wins for the day. And what this does is several fold. And one is I just get to start to look at all the beautiful nuances of my life. And for my patients who are suffering with chronic illness, they're like, my life sucks, (laughs) you know, Like no matter what we, right. And it's like, it never goes right. But I say, hey, could you find three small, small things in your day that you're thankful for that that were small wins and even if your day was terrible can you learn a lesson a lesson that might help you in the future and what's really interesting is you write those three things down and then you just let them be and then i say hey why don't we write down three things that are going to be great tomorrow three wins for tomorrow and then i just we're done takes three minutes. Mm. I tell patients three or four minutes. Don't give yourself any more time. This is not a test. It's not like we're going to have a journaling competition. I just want you to write down something that comes from your heart. And if you're not used to doing that, get used to it because this does a couple things after a few days of doing this, you're going to start to notice that that just wrote writing things down will become gratitude. You'll be like, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize all this beautiful stuff that happened during my day. And then when that starts to happen, which is very involuntary because your heart and your brain really do want this state, then you start to get out of that hopeless, frozen, sort of parasympathetic state of this freeze.
0: Freeze. Yep.
1: Yeah. And that allows you to kind of slowly, but surely, cause that's the key to getting out of freeze state. It's you got to feel safe. So you have to kind of sneak it in almost. But when you do that, then you start to get into gratitude almost accidentally. And the gratitude part is what then allows your nervous system to calm down. And now you're starting to get chill before you go to bed.
0: Wow. I've never heard anybody explain it that way. So I just want to stop you there so this really can sink in. Number one, there are a couple of things you said. You said write it down. Now, I tell people to do their gratitudes in the morning and gratitudes at night. Think about three things, but I don't really tell them to write it down. So can you explain why the act of writing it down is an important piece to this?
1: Yeah, I think this is so critical. Um, It's really just a way we've moved away. A lot of us have moved away from having a, a nervous system, kinesthetic connection to what we're doing. And our brains, most of us have been used to using our hands for, say, something like drawing or maybe eating. And it's one more sensory input. And I find that we try to change our brain. Like I said, It like, and I, I did this all the time. I still, <laughs> I'm still guilty sometimes, but it's like, we're trying to force the brain to change in a certain way, where this way we're giving it another natural input, which if you think about the way we used to learn primarily in school was we would take notes and we'd write things down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, it's sort of embedded in us and our society that this is a w- one other way to help kind of imprint it in our nervous system if you will and also if you think about we talk about the peripheral nervous system and all these nerves in our fingers and our hands and our toes and all those things but the peripheral nervous system is just an extension of the central nervous system and there's so many things that you can do with your peripheral nervous system that allows your brain and the spinal cord your central nervous system to calm down and so if we want to it's it's a direct path to reprogramming yourself and one of the other things that I love, like I have a mentor in osteopathic manipulation who does this all the time. And then I've looked at all this research. She used to just dance around, but it wasn't like a dance party or a rave. It was more like what we call today shaking. And it's like, mm. if, you, if you just stand up and shake your body and vibrate it a little, almost like animals do, you shake off sort of that nervous energy off of the nerves and you get this nice flow of life going, you know, mm. to and fro your limbs. And it's so calming. And if you actually just kind of stand up or even in your chair, do it for a minute and a half or two minutes, you'll find that you'll have an involuntary sort of deep exhalation, or maybe an inhale followed by an exhale, very much like you're doing breath work or you're meditating. So it's just another way that is a natural mode of communication to our nervous system. And you think about what you do with your arms and your legs, like if you're cold, you're gonna pull your arms in, but also you might hold, cross your arms if you're uncomfortable and it's a protective mechanism. So the use or the lack of use of our extremities sends cues to our central nervous system of whether we feel comfortable or whether we feel safe. So for me, that act of actually the physical feedback with the pen just really triggers a safe, calm, because you think about it, like learning environments, a classroom, It may not be your most fun place, but it's generally, not always, but generally a safe place. And so with doing homework at home and I'm writing, it's generally a safe place. And so there's all these cues that we can take advantage of. And so that's one of the reasons I think that writing is so helpful.
0: You know, I love that, a note taker. And I haven't gotten used to just like listening and typing in, and so I have a remarkable pad. But here's the thing, I take tons and tons of notes but I hardly ever look back at my notes. There's just something about the writing of the note, like you said, like an, another input into the nervous system that I don't generally have to look back at my notes. I've just kind of, the act of writing it. But if I don't write it down, then I feel kind of freaky. You know, like I'm gonna forget it. It's kind of interesting.
1: It is, and it's like, for me, I do type a lot of notes now. And I find that I remember almost nothing. And if I write them down, like on, I have my little digital remarkable, because it's kind of, not just a flat screen it almost feels more like paper yeah. it really makes a big difference in what i remember and that's exactly i mean i remember medical school and college it was like if i wrote the notes once and then i took a few extra notes the night before test it was a breeze but if yeah. i tried to do it some other way like memorizing it is yeah. no thanks didn't happen
0: Yeah, good point. The other thing I wanted to go back to a couple of sentences ago or uh, thoughts ago was when you said about melatonin, right? The importance of going out during the day because light stimulates melatonin and that might have fallen on people go, no, no, no light. It's dark that stimulates melatonin. But I love that clarity around the light stimulates the production of melatonin and the dark stimulates the release. So that's a great way to remember it. And when you're talking to people about getting outside in the morning is you want that maximum melatonin that night. And it really does help people to sleep better when they get the sunlight in the morning. So thank you for that clarification.
1: Yeah, I think it's so important to, And I'm really so glad that you highlighted that because it is really a key factor. And then on the opposite end of the day, as you alluded to, we've now kind of gotten up, we've gotten the light, we've stimulated optimal melatonin production during the day. We want to look at how can we optimally release melatonin in the evening. And this is going back to what we were talking about with maybe blue blockers in the evening and minimizing sort of the blue light on our screens. And so that's a really critical part, because it's the darkness that lets that out. And so when I look at a few sleep tips at night, in addition to some of the other things we talked about, I really like people to have a dark room. And so I've gone through my room and like anything that's a little red light on something across the room, I'll cover it with black tape. We have the really dark shades whenever possible. We try to keep all the electronics out of our room so that we're not sort of getting that stimulus to our mind. And one of the things we see is also, Rita Marie, that I think is such an easy thing to do is turn off your Wi-Fi router at night. And turning off your Wi-Fi router, when you look at blood cells that are exposed to Wi-Fi signals, they tend to stack on each other, which are called Rouleaux bodies. And that's a sign of inflammation, very much like what you could see in like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. And so by turning off our Wi-Fi, we actually have the ability to have less stimulus on our minds overnight. And with like our devices, if we have to use our phone, like if we have kids who may be out or we might use it as an alarm clock, we wanna turn off everything we're not using. So at the bare minimum, I turn off my Wi-Fi and my Bluetooth because otherwise my phone is trying to connect to it all night long and I turn it off on both ends. I make sure the Wi-Fi is off and the phone Wi-Fi is off and the same for any of the Bluetooth devices. And these are just little things. But when I first turned off my Wi-Fi router, when I learned about this like 10 years ago, I had no insomnia, I slept great. And then for like two weeks, I didn't sleep at all. It was like, I was so disrupted. And then I went back to normal sleep. And what was really crazy was a couple weeks later, I woke up and I was like up all night long. I'm like, why do I have insomnia? And it didn't, nothing happened. And then like three weeks later, same thing. Another two weeks later, the same thing. And I got up and I went down and my Wi-Fi was on.
0: Oh, And my so goodness. then
1: I figured that I probably detoxified from that extra stimulation at night. And, that, and then when I didn't, so when then I got used to not having it and sleeping more natural, then when it comes on, I'm like, whoa, that's kind of interesting. So I do a little extra work when I'm traveling because I usually can't turn off the Wi-Fi in the hotel, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> I tell people a lot of times, just put it on a, on a timer. You set it once and then you forget it. And then it's like, you don't have to remember. And also if you put it on a timer, it's a good thing to cut yourself off from the internet and that stimulation at night. So even if you don't believe me about the Wi-Fi stimulation and all the red cells and inflammation in your, and hyperactivity in your brain, the other part is just get off the darn screens and let yourself create that sleep sanctuary And the other thing that a lot of Americans forget is your bed is for two things when you're an adult and one thing when you're a kid, sleep and sex. And that's it. And, you know, all this watching TV and reading till all hours of the night. And one of them is worse than the other. But they're all kind of just stimuli that don't really reinforce that your bed is for rest and rejuvenation. And that's really what we want to do.
0: I love hearing that because I Actually for me, you know me, I'm, I'm a fanatic and I do everything that I think is right. But those are the things that are difficult for me. I don't have any trouble sleeping, so I would be more inclined to look at it. But I find that, you know, well for turning off the Wi Fi when you have a partner in the house who doesn't buy into it is challenging, right? But the other piece right. is I got out of the mode, I had all the I didn't have the phone out of the room, but I put it on airplane mode until I had teenagers who were going out there driving. And they weren't coming home, right? They were, and I wanted to make sure that there was an, if there was an emergency that I could get the signal. So I started turning it back on. Yeah, I have it three feet away from my head, but that's probably not far enough because it's <laughs> Wi-Fi, right? It travels invisibly. So, yeah, these are really good points. So let me ask you this. So many people have aura rings now. Right. That's Mm -hmm. a big thing. Fitbits were a thing of the past. Now most people have aura rings and you go, oh, I'm having this much deep sleep or that much deep sleep. And I personally get a lot of deep sleep, even on nights that I do badly and I only sleep for four, five, six hours. I still have a huge, huge amount of deep sleep, usually at least two and a half, sometimes longer hours. But my husband gets on good nights, 30 minutes of deep sleep right so let's talk about maybe some other strategies or are those enough or are there other strategies for helping people to get more deep sleep
1: yeah i mean i think there's a couple pieces here and one of those is everybody's an individual and Mm -hmm. 30 minutes seems a little bit low right but i know a lot of people who are very healthy at an hour and a half right so And I'm really usually looking at the whole picture and if we can get our REM and our deep sleep relatively the same Mm. and close to 40 or 50%, I prefer 50%, but I'll take what I can get sometimes. I think that's important, but you could potentially see greater health benefit in your husband going from 30 to 45 minutes than you going two and a half to 245, right? Mm. So I really think that's important. From a deep sleep perspective, this is where the other part of the idea of preparing your next day with your wins that night, when you go to sleep and you give your mind, your conscious mind this chance to dissociate because that's what happens when we sleep, but then your subconscious is sitting there with a job to do, which is like figure out how to get these wins for tomorrow. Now what's really cool is your conscious mind, if you say, hey, I'm gonna win a million dollars tomorrow in the lottery, your conscious mind going to be like, there's no way that's even going to happen. But your subconscious is like, oh, I don't know, you just told me you're going to win a million dollars tomorrow. And it doesn't, it doesn't judge. And so this is kind of like where subconscious becomes super conscious and kind of plugs into the universe. And whether you call that life force or the divine or God or whatever word it is, I think it's really important that in sleep, you get to the point where you are open to new possibilities. And what's really interesting is people who start to do these gratitude practices and pre-planning their gratitude for tomorrow over the course of three to six weeks, and sometimes three to six days, you'll start to see they sleep deeper. Because in order to do that work, you go into a deeper mode of sleep. I also see a lot of people have a lot of other things going on. We use... Everything from, I've designed very specific sleep meditations that also include binaural beats to help get people down in that brainwave pattern. We use brain mapping and neurofeedback in our practice to get people to calm their brains down and do that. But I think the the biggest thing is, like to the point you made earlier of, hey, it sounds really cool, Tom. It's great. I can't turn off my Wi-Fi. I've got kids. It's not about doing all of these things. And we don't all, in order to be healthy, we don't have to all become biohackers and do everything hundred percent. I have my clear glass on my desk here with some water in it. And I think of this as like, as a practitioner and a person who just as a human being wants to be healthy, I've looked at this, I coined this term called chronic toxin overload. And we talk so much about it, but the bottom line is we, our bodies have an ability to hold on, you know, to tolerate and deal with so much. And when we go over that amount, like as if I continued to fill the water up in the cup, it spills over. So I have two things that I can work on. I can minimize the amount of junk I have to deal with in my life, and I can increase the capacity of the vessel. Mm -hmm. And so it's really simple, right? You don't have to do all the things that we're talking about, and there are so many other things you can work on, but pick one or two things that resonate with you and that you're going to commit to doing on a consistent basis and then allow that daily practice of either breathing before you go to bed or calming down. And if reading calms you down, that's great. Just make the decision of whether you should do it on in a chair or in your bed based on how you sleep, but do something that brings joy to your own heart and allows your nervous system to kind of calm down and release a lot of the stuff from the day. And that way you're taking down the amount of stuff that has to go in the vessel. And if you do a practice like turning off the wi well, the Wi-Fi is more filling up the cup. If you want to make the cup bigger, that's where we get into our mindset practices, our meditations, or our neurofeedback and such. So we can work on either side of that. We don't have to do it all. We just have to pick one or two things to focus on.
0: I love that. I use that analogy all the time with people. And you want to always have a little bit of a capacity between the top of the water level and the top of the vessel right so you have that oh room God, right? for getting hit by a truck or <laughs> you know what i mean like things like that and so many people live their lives like right at the edge and then they think because they stubbed to their toe and then they developed a chronic disease that it was the stubbing of the toe but it was the stubbing of the toe on top of everything else that filled up the vessel
1: right it's interesting you, you made me think of when we th- Talk about that brain detoxification system. If any of the practitioners listening do a lot of research on this, you'll hear a term called the aquaporin four channels, and they'll say they're on the end feet of the astrocyte, and they need to be polarized. And I'm like, wow, that's <laughs> like, what the heck does wow. that mean, <laughs> right? So, but there's these little astrocytes, like these structural cells in the brain, and they literally have what look like end feet. So the the flow of cerebrospinal fluid is basically we've seen that it comes in along these penetrating arteries, and then it comes down and deep into the brain, and then from, then it meets up with these aquaporin-4 channels, and then it, the cerebrospinal fluid will start to diffuse into the brain substance, mixed with the interstitial fluid, and then on the other side of, the, of this astrocyte has another polarized end foot, and then we see all of this sort of the dirty water, if you will, going out along the venules. And ultimately, this is going to drain out around cranial nerves, around the internal carotid. 20 to 30% of it is actually through the nasal lymphatics, so we can riff on that in a minute if we want. But what's really critical about this, to your point of like how much do you do or how little do you do, those end feet, on either side, along the arteries and the veins, they have a lot of these, essentially in the schematics, looks like an equal sign. And that's proper. That allows proper water flow. If we had a mild traumatic brain injury, if we had an infection, if we had a traumatic event, we see disruption of this. And they say there's depolarization of the end feet. Well, basically that means these little equal signs that are the water channels get scattered all over. So one of the holy grails here is lots of people get injuries and insults. How do we fix that? And then one of the ways we found that at least in in experimental animals, you can fix this, is what they call alternate day fasting. And I was like, oh, cool. I love intermittent fasting and autophagy and all this stuff. And now we're going down. Let's get really hardcore. We're going to do 16 hours a day where we fast and we're going to do it almost every day of our lives and we're going to be super healthy. And what was really cool was they found that alternate day fasting was defined a little differently. And it was defined as fasting for 12 hours every other day. And I'm like I don't even consider what? not eating 12 hours as fasting. I don't even in think about
0: as fasting either. That's just normal <laughs> right? hygiene, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Every
1: okay. other day. And so I usually tell people, "Hey, start at 12 or 13, work your way up to 14 or 16 preferably, and do it 4 or 5 days a week. Don't get so caught up in it." And what I found interesting was this is probably the minimum that you need, but at the same time it makes it accessible to more people. And it's a starting point where I have data that I can show if you commit to yourself, you can help your brain detoxification. Now, what does this have to do with sleep? Well, we did say that during deep sleep, particularly, we have more functionality here. But if you think about it, if you're more consistently cleaning more toxins out of your brain, bringing down your brain inflammation levels, now you've brought down the level of crap in your cup. And now you actually have the ability for these other simpler tools to continue to work. And so a lot of times I talk a lot about safety and Lyme disease and because a lot of people with chronic Lyme are like sick forever and people are like, oh, they have this illness mentality. They have secondary gain and all this. I'm like, well, they may, but let's look at a different thing if you're sick, well, all this is safety, right? You have to feel safe. But the problem is safety is more of a concept of the cognitive prefrontal areas of the brain. But when you look at polyvagal theory and Dr. Porges's work, he's really looking at the reptilian brain and safety. So mm-hmm. I started to look at it and I said, the term that makes the most sense to me, Rita Marie, is familiarity. And familiarity is, you can look at kids. And a lot of kids will watch the same movie over and over and over. Or they'll listen to the same three songs, or one song for that matter, over and over. And the adults are like pulling their hair out, right? Yep. And the thing is, because that song is, or that movie is familiar to them, and that equates to feeling safe. So if I take someone who has an acute illness, that feels very unsafe, very unfamiliar, very unsafe. But if they stay in that illness state for a period of time, then that becomes the familiar state. So cognitively, if I ask that patient, are you safe? They're like, no way, man. I'm like, I'm dying. But evolutionarily, the reptilian protective mechanism built into your body is saying, that's familiar, which means it's safe. So when I ask you to now change that state, that is Mm -hmm. unfamiliar. And that deep protective mechanism in your body goes, whoa, I'm not safe right now. And so that's that's where we have to make these really small changes over time in order to make that big shift.
0: Yep, And be consistent with them, right? Not just try this and another week try that and just keep flitting around, but finding a healthy environment that's safe rather than this unhealthy environment that's safe.
1: Yeah. And so the other image I have in my mind though, is the areas of your brain, that are responsible for you recognizing that you are safe, that facial expression, intonation, and voice understanding, and even understanding gesture, are the same area, to so the areas of the brain that are responsible for that are negatively impacted by many infections, including Lyme disease. And what I thought was really interesting, I talked to a friend of mine who does almost, his whole practice is pretty much brain mapping and working with how people's brain connectivity is. He said that the people with Lyme, mold illness, and even with high blood pressure and high glucose have have very similar brain patterns. I said, well, that's really interesting. So Lyme can set you up with a problem that prevents you from understanding that you actually are safe enough to heal, but so can all these other things. So I need to treat whatever medical condition you have, but maybe I can access it from the other side and do my mindset training, my meditative practices, maybe even my my fi and find a back door into this. So now we can kind of expand the size of the cup and decrease the amount of fluid all at the same time, but we're doing a little from each side and we sneak up on it and now we can start to really see like just natural healing unfolding.
0: Yeah, that's intense. And that's the way you want to do it, right? Because too big a change at one time puts people into that, I'm not safe anymore, right, that unfamiliarity, and then their whole nervous system goes into an uproar. So That's a great point. And you mentioned a bit about, you know, you're mentioning about the lymphatics and the detoxification of the brain, which is super critical. A couple of things I just want to close with are you mentioned about nasal infections, and also hydration when we were talking before. And so many people are chronically dehydrated. So I want to just really emphasize from your perspective, how that affects sleep and how that affects overall healing when somebody is dehydrated.
1: Yeah. I think this is a huge one, Rita Marie. It's like, how can you recover? If most of your body is water, including your bones, and most of the ability of your body to clean up yourself relies on this flow of water in the lymphatic system in the body and the glymphatic flow in the brain, it's critical. And so for me, foundational stuff, I certainly have people use different electrolytes depending upon who they are. And Some of the simple stuff is, well, part of it is just start drinking more water. And if you need to, you know, like back in the day, I was addicted to sodas because we didn't know it was not healthy. And then when I started to heal and I started to do a lot of yoga and meditation and over time allow that to slowly let my body heal, because in the beginning I could barely tolerate anything. But as I sank into it lower, my body started rejecting things like sugars in soda and all this, but I needed, like I was used to it. And so I actually like flavored waters. And so I either will add some like lemon to my water, or I do like some of those sparkling waters, but I went in steps and we were doing, it was flavored sparkling waters, like with the natural essence had just come out. So I just became, I drank so much of that to get myself off the soda. But what I realized is it wasn't just, I got off the sugar. I was literally hydrating better and it is key. So a little bit of electrolytes working to help you absorb things. I try to make normal saline and I use like matrix electrolytes and a few other things. But I tell people to make it pleasantly salty, whatever that means to you. Because I find when I'm more active, I want more salt. When I'm not as active, I want less. And it's just like play with it and get used to just listening to your body and absorbing it. And it is critical though. I mean, CSF and the interstitial fluids in your brain are just shy of a hundred percent all water you know there's just a few solutes in it so i think it's a really critical piece and then as all these topics points you bring up i keep thinking back to the gut too because we're talking about the nervous system and i think we really need to understand that the gut wall and just absorption in general really requires proper hydration and proper fueling to do this and When we look at the gut and the brain, we have to include the heart and that gut-brain-heart axis, really hydration is a critical piece. Again, going back to what I said earlier, there's so many cool supplements out there that are great drainers. (laughs) But if you don't have the fluid to drain this stuff, it's just going to move like four microns.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it is so critical, right? And people, I'll be working with people and we talk about hydration and we're a month or two in and they're I know oh, I'm still having this or this is still happening. Or we go back to basics. How much water are you doing? Well, I'm doing better than I was. I think I'm up to three cups a day. And I'm like, wow. how can you clean out your body on three cups of water a day? You don't weigh like, you know, 50 pounds. So it's just really, I think a critical piece. And I'm glad that we bring that up when it comes to sleep because there's so many people who just aren't sleeping and they're not hydrated. And this is creating havoc in their healing.
1: And I think that like part of it is our bodies has this amazing self-regulatory self-healing mechanism. And our job as healers and our job as just the human being living in this amazing body and on this crazy, awesome planet is to provide the basic necessities to this body to optimally function. And in my healing journey, the thing that I noticed that was most critical was I was 70 to 75% better after six and a half years of making no progress with modern medicine just by doing things on my own. Then I met the doctors that helped me get that other 25%. So I'm not saying we don't need all the fancy stuff, but man, when you ignite self-healing and you give the body the food, the water, the sleep, and the love and gratitude that it deserves, it's such an amazing mechanism. And just like with the safety we talked about, this blows my mind, the reason that it's hard to heal sometimes, and you might accidentally self-sabotage is because your body is trying to protect you and keep you safe your body is a hundred percent of the time on your side and this is the thing i want all my patients and every doctor that i train and talk to and anybody talk, your body is always working for you it may not look like that but when you go to back your body's working for you and man give it all the love and the water that it needs you know
0: Right. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We could go on for hours, but we're at the end of our time. Can you talk about the nasal infections and how that affects sleep in two minutes or less?
1: I can try. So basically <laughs> what we find is if we have like strep is our common one, if we have recurrent strep infections in our throat and our nose, our own immune system will have THC cells that are primed for group A strep hanging out in our nose. And ultimately, they'll go up the nasal lymphatics into the brain, leading to inflammation, autoimmunity, and break down the blood brain barrier. And so one of the problems is that nasal lymphatic pathway is still drainage for 30% of the brain. And what I started to see is not only does this happen in kids with strep, but I have people with mycotoxin illness, people with chronic sinusitis, and they have evidence of brain inflammation and very commonly autoimmune encephalitis. So we need to have our, our nose open, one, so that we're cleaning it out and we don't harbor these infections in our nose, which lead to autoimmunity. The other part is with 30% of the brain drainage coming out of the nose, we really wanna focus on optimizing that drainage. And we can do that with simple breathing techniques like Buteyko breathing will help you create more nitric oxide in your sinuses, which will open up your nose and also help with your Raynaud's if you happen to have that and circulation throughout your body. So I just think it's really important. And one other piece for opening up your nose is if your nose is clogged up, it's probably cause you're breathing through your mouth and you need to breathe through your nose more. So incorporate a little buteco breathing, close your mouth whenever possible. And one of the other it's funny how it comes all the way around Rita Marie in the extra 10 seconds I'm going to steal <laughs> is, <laughs> is a lot of people are mouth breathers. Mouth breathing yes. messes with your sleep and it messes with your nose and it will lead to your nose being closed. So one of the tricks you can use is during the day you do those breathing techniques that open your nose with the nitric oxide, maybe add a few more beats for some liver detox and nitric oxide. But put a little piece of paper tape in a Charlie Chapman, move it from below, you know, just move it over your lips and let that paper tape help you remember to keep your mouth closed. Usually the first two or three nights, people are like, oh my God, I can't even handle this. And 10 minutes later, it's off. Within a week, people are sleeping deeply with their mouth closed and their nose gets more and more open and it won't keep your mouth closed if you need to breathe through it. So it's a really nice cheater way to open up your nose.
0: Does it work with facial hair? As you know,
1: I'm full bearded right now and uh, you (laughs) can, you can try it out, but I I learned to do it. I actually did it. I had the little uh, soul patch and the rest was all clean shaven. So I figured out a way to do it, but you have to get a little creative when you have facial
0: hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) actually this is
1: the native Americans and actually native Americans, like North and South America, there are different tribes that would actually tie their babies mouths closed at night. There's actually like all these images of it. And it wasn't like, Yeah, and I'm not suggesting you do that, but there are ways to help remind yourself that aren't just paper tape. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing. We've covered all kinds of ground, and I hope this is helpful to everybody out there when you're working with people. Last question is, how do people reach you if they want to study more, learn more from you?
1: Yeah, our clinical practice is online at originsofhealth.com. And anybody interested in learning more about the Lime Practitioner Certification Program, it's just LimePractitionerCertification.com.
0: Perfect. Thank you, thank you. And we'll have all that information on the show notes page along with a link to our optimizing sleep guide at reinventhealthcare.com forward slash sleep. So, so much information. We could study sleep forever and we should be really focusing on this with people because it's a critical piece that's keeping people from getting well. So the more you master all these techniques of how to empower your clients or patients to get their optimal sleep, to eat the right ways, to get hydration and all this, the better results you're going to get and your practice is going to grow and thrive from that. And that's what we're all here for, right? Is to help more people. So download the sleep guide, reinventhealthcare.com forward slash sleep. And until next time, shine on. Thank you for listening to the Reinvent Healthcare podcast. Join the movement of practitioners that are guiding people to actually get well rather than covering up their symptoms. Connect with us at reinventhealthcare.com to access resources and tools that will empower you to create a thriving health practice.